Well, the New Testament book of Philippians fits the season. I was thinking of that. You come into Thanksgiving and Christmas and the holidays, a time of joy and Thanksgiving, and typically you think, well, what will we study? And I thought there's nothing better than what we're studying in Philippians. But not only does it fit for this season, it just fits in life. And I think that's why so many of us love the book of Philippians. It hits us where we live. And joy is the overriding theme. It is the dominating theme. And I think for every one of us, we want joy in our lives. We want joy in our family. We want joy in our Christian experience. But not every day is filled with joy. And as we talked about last week, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is tied more to our circumstances. Happenings, we have good happenings. Things are going well for us. But joy for the Apostle Paul was tied to his relationship with God through Christ. And that is unchanging. Circumstances are up and down like the weather. They'll change. And so our emotions and our our state of well-being can change. But since God is constant and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever, joy can remain constant as well. And so that's the the dominant theme. And it's interesting because Paul is writing from a Roman prison. (laughs) His circumstances are not great. And he experiences a lot of things that we would call uh, depressing, discouraging, not comfortable. And yet we find that this man's life is, is marked by joy. It is marked by praise. It is marked by thanksgiving. And that's why Christianity or the Christian life is unique. When someone looks at your life, this, this should be the way that they distinguish you're a Christian. It's not because we talked about, it's not a list of rules of do's and don'ts. It's not because you have a certain, uh, all of your theology is going to fit someone else's theology. It is that your life expresses love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. This should be what makes you unique. It, it, it should be what, what makes Christianity attractive. And so we're back into Philippians. It's a great season. And it's a great message for us today. We're going to look at verses 6, 7, and 8 this morning. I'd like to read these as we begin. And we're going to look at really the subject of confidence because Paul is going to talk about how he has great confidence. Now, I don't know if you came this morning with confidence in your life, if you lack confidence, but confidence does affect our ability to have joy, whether or not we have confidence. Verse 6, he says, "...being confident of this." that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of of Christ Jesus. As we had said before, that this is probably the most personal, transparent, confessional, intimate letter that Paul writes to very dear friends. And he talks about this grace that is being shared. So Paul says, I'm confident. I am confident. And this confidence is going to, if, if you have no confidence or if you have a misplaced confidence, it'll be very difficult to be a joyful person. Now, Paul's personal experience 
is described in the book of Acts in chapter 9, uh, Paul started out as a very, very confident person. But he was confident in his ability. He was confident in his education. He was confident in what he was doing. But all of his confidence was misplaced. And he had a lot of ambition. And what happened on the road to Damascus one day at noon, a bright light shone and the presence of Christ came to him. And all of that self-confidence was crushed, absolutely crushed. All of his ambition was crushed. And he was blinded by that light. But after that time period, God ignited a new confidence, a new ambition, what I would call a holy, healthy ambition, and a, a confidence that was enduring. It's like this joy that we've talked about, that it was un, an unwavering confidence. And I think we struggle in the same way when it comes to the matter of confidence. We can have no confidence and I think probably you may not have been there, but I think most of us have been at that place where we, we, if we've struggled. We have no confidence. And we become discouraged. We get depressed. We become weary with it. But there's also a misplaced confidence. How many of you watched a, a football game when a, when a guy scores a touchdown and he goes into this incredible celebration? And, and you're looking at the score and his team is behind by 30 points. And you think, what's the deal? Is he even aware of what is going on? But a lot of times we, we do have confidence that is so self-centered. And I'd say that's driven by pride. Uh, it, it's, you know, I have confidence in myself. And we try to build this up. Okay, I'm, I'm going to have self-confidence. Or we could place our confidence in other people. And that's going to waver just like people waver. We could, we could place our confidence in riches or, or place our confidence in a, a certain set of circumstances. If, if circumstances could change, it would give me confidence. I think most of us would probably think that, you know, if I just had a lot more money in the bank, uh, I'd have a lot more confidence about the future. And so what we do is we tie our confidence to wavering things and so that's, that's going to affect our ability to have a consistent and constant joy. Paul is going to place his confidence in God alone. Now, that's easy to say, but to practice that, to every day get up and say, my confidence and my trust is in the Lord alone. And that not only brings confidence, it brings a great sense of peace and of joy. So Paul's going to make a, a, a case for this kind of confidence. Because when we as a church family, a church body, together have great confidence in what we know is true about God. We said our, our view of God, what we know is true about God. We also have great joy and great settledness no matter what we face. This was really the, not only the message of the Apostle Paul, it really was the testimony of his life. So let's look at verse 6. Verse 6, he begins by saying, I'm confident that God is working in you. This is the way he, he states it. 
He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is at work in you. Paul is saying this, I am confident of this, that he is working in you. There are really three ways. What he's done, what he's doing presently, and what he will do. And he covers all three. First, it's what God has done for you. You must be confident in what he has done. I was listening to a radio show with Diana. It was a, I think it was a woman's conference. And one of the speakers said, when we approach the Christian life, we always ask, you know, what would Jesus do? Uh, WWJD, we used to wear those braces. What would Jesus do? And she said, we ought to ask ourselves more, what has he done? What has he done? Not so much what would he do, what has he done? Because when Paul says, I have confidence in this, is this is what he began in you. My confidence is that he who began a good work. What was the first, the beginning work that God did in the lives of these people? And that was giving them salvation. This happened over a decade before this took place, but this took place. And what Jesus Christ has done, what He has done is He has washed your sins away by His blood. He has put you in a right standing before His heavenly Father. He has made you His son, His daughter. He has given you the promise of eternal life. It is finished. Remember the cry that Christ had from the cross? It was to telestai, or it is finished. The expression wasn't that he was finished, but it is finished. What does he mean by that? He is meaning that everything that needed to be done to secure eternal life for you has been done. There's nothing more to do. And see, I think this is the, the trap we fall into is, is like we can never do enough. We can never do enough. And I think that translates into the way that we live the Christian life. If I could just do this, I'd do this, do this. And we're always trying to do more, to do more to please God. There's nothing more you can do to please God. God was completely, 100% pleased in what Jesus Christ did for us. It is finished. It is done. There is nothing you can do that is going to nullify the gift of eternal life that you've received. Isn't that tremendous? Nothing will ever change the fact that He is my Father. Nothing will ever change the fact that He loves me, that He's always there. He will never falter. There is nothing more that I need to do. Everything is done. And you know, I think this is fundamental to how we live our lives because most of us try to please God by what we do. You know, just I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Maybe God will be, maybe God will be more pleased with me and, and maybe God will be really good to me. You've got to recognize that the basis of God's goodness to you is not anything that you do. It's what His Son has done for you. That Jesus Christ came into this world even though we were sinners, He took our place. He died on the cross. 
He conquered sin. He rose again. He gives to us eternal life. It is done. And if you have a bad day, which we have, and you don't have a real strong faith, and you falter in your life, God doesn't love you any less. You're not any less secure in Him. Isn't that amazing? And I think this, that that ought to, to bring a great sense of joy to every one of us. You say, well, if, if you start teaching that, people are just going to go off and live, live the way they want to live. We have this fear, you know. You tell people they've got this eternal security and that nothing can change and that, that uh, all this is done, then, well, they're just going to go out and, and live like the devil. No, I think the opposite is true. When you recognize this truth, what He has done for you, you just want to please, you want to please Him in everything you do. You love Him, but you know that, that God's favor toward you is not tied to your performance. So it's what He has done. It is finished. Secondly, He talks about what He's doing in us now because He talks about bringing us along. I'm confident in this. He who began a good work in you this settled justification will carry it on. So this work of grace and salvation is by grace through faith. God is carrying on this work in you. And we read about that in Romans 8.29. One of our favorite verses is Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. But then he says, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In other words, God is working to change your life to be more like His Son. That is an ongoing process. And so, when the events take place, as, as Paul is experiencing in prison, and as, as we experience it with all of the ups and downs of our lives, to, to recognize that not only am I secure in my relationship to God through Christ, God is constantly working in me. And even James in his, the first chapter of the book of James, of course James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, uh, one of the pastors there, James said that, that counted joy. Count it joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, he, he says there is an ongoing work of God transforming your life to be more like His Son. And I'll have to be honest with you that for me now, uh, at my age, I get a little bit discouraged with this. Because I would think I'd be doing better by now. Have you ever felt that way? I think I, you know, I've been a Christian now for a number of years, and I think I, I should be doing better than what I'm doing. When I falter and I lack faith and I get discouraged and I start to argue with God about things, <laughs> uh, it's really it's really depressing to think. You know what? I think I had a stronger faith back a few decades ago. But, but that's just proof and evidence that the work is never done. It's never done until we're finally with Him in heaven. And so He is bringing us along, developing us, growing us into maturity. 
and, and teaching us through every trial and every test that, that the circumstance should be robbing you of your joy. It should be robbing you of your joy. He is teaching you to anchor yourself and your life and your view in Him, who is the unchanging one. The third part of this, we talked about how God began this good work. It's finished. He is continuing this work day by day. And then He says He will bring it to completion. The word comes from teleos. We get the word telescope. When you look way down to the very end... This is God's plan, and He is going to bring everything to completion. And the way He describes it is the day of Christ Jesus. Now, if you've read through your Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you'll, you'll read this phrase, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And what the day of the Lord almost every time is referring to is judgment. <laughs> I mean, it's judgment. So the day of the Lord means, speaking to, to Israel, you may do what you want to do, but the day of the Lord is coming. So the day of the Lord is something where we tremble a bit that final judgment will come. But every time that this phrase, until the day of Christ Jesus, is brought, means that He is bringing all things together in Christ, and our lives are completely and finally transformed. Okay? That's why I say that when you say as, as salvation, in other words, eternal life, that God saved us instantaneously, we became His child, nothing will ever change it. We have eternal security, eternal life. That's salvation. We have the ongoing salvation that God is continuing to grow us and build us and, and work through the trials and form us and fashion us to the likeness of His Christ. And then finally, we have the complete part of this. So justification, we use that theological term, justified, sanctified is progressive. And then finally, we have glorification, which is everything is complete. That means I'm out of this wicked, sinful body, out of this wicked, sinful world. I am in heaven with Him forever. It's done. It's finished. You read about heaven in Revelation chapter 20 and 21 where there's no sorrow, no sickness, no pain. There's all joy. There's all singing. I mean, this is what we hope for. This is what we anticipate. And so Paul is reminding them, God gives you hope. No matter how bad this day is, how bad the prison cell is for Paul, how bad the beatings are, the injustices, the shame that we talked about is he would go from city to city, stripped naked, thrown in jail, all of these things. We as believers have hope. We have hope. <laughs> and we look forward to that. And there's nothing wrong to, look for, uh, to looking forward to these things. So this is what he is doing justified instantaneously, being sanctified, someday glorified. And this reminds me what I'd like to... I don't want to jump all over the Bible with you, but we'll have it up on the screen. But I want us to turn to I, what I believe, this is opinion, <laughs> the most central text in all of the Bible. If someone said to you, what is the most central text, the most central verse in all of Scriptures? Now, we might have a little debate, but... 
I would say it's Romans 11 and verse 36. The, the Scripture says, For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, why, why do I say that? The previous verses lead into this. To me, it's, a, it's, it's called a doxology. The depth and the riches of the wisdom of God and goes down to this central verse. Because I think the supreme is the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says, what is the chief end of man? Some of you memorized that, uh, heard that. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The word doxa we, in the Greek is doxology. But the chief end of man, the supreme and chief end of all existence of life, of humanity, of creation, is the glory of God. May He be praised and honored and everything. And that's exactly what this verse is saying. And so it says, from Him, Creator, through Him, Sustainer, and to Him, for Him, the ultimate judge. We have creation, we have the cross, we have consummation. All things. He is everything. Not only did he, he speak into existence this whole world, He sustains it by the word of His power. And at the end, every knee will bow and confess Him to be Lord and King and Master. He is everything. That's why I think, what more can you say? From Him, through Him, to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Now, that's exactly what, when we go to Philippians 1, He's saying. What He's done, what He's doing, and what He will do. And Paul says, I am confident in this. His confidence rests not in himself, not in his money, not in his friends, not in his circumstances. Paul's confidence rests in the Lord. And the more you know Him, and the more you think about Him, and the more you acknowledge all that He is, the more joy and the more peace that you'll have as a believer. That's why Paul is saying, think on these things. So, that is the, a great text. And then one other that I want to jump back to Exodus chapter 3, because where did all this kind of thinking start? And you'll remember the burning bush experience when Moses was... He had been on the, the backside of the desert for over 40 years. And one day he comes and he sees this bush, and it's on fire. It's a burning bush, and yet it is not being consumed. So what, what is happening here? And God is asking Moses to go back into Egypt and to rescue his people. And Moses is having a discussion about this. <laughs> He's arguing over it. And he is, this argument goes on for some time. And God said in verse 32 of Exodus 3, he says, he says, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will, be, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. 
And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is the first time that God introduces himself by this name. I am. We would use Jehovah or Yahweh. Now, what's the significance of it? It means the self-existent one. In other words, he didn't have a beginning or an ending. He is self-existent. And that's what I, I think the significance of this burning bush experience is that this bush is burning, but it's not consumed. He is the self-existent one. So how does he describe himself to Moses? I am who I am. This is my name. I am. And what it means is this. I am what I've always been. What I always will be. What I will be is what I am and what I've been. You see, these three parts, the self-existent one is the, is the same concept that we see in Romans eleven thirty six. It is the same concept that Paul is tying to our joy, is knowing Him. So this is God's desire. Do you know all the traveling that they, they did from the first time Joseph goes to Egypt and then they're there for over 400 years and now finally Moses is leading them out of Egypt? What is the point? You think all of us wandering around in the wilderness, it's not about a geographical location. It's about God's people coming to know Him. It's about relationship. And relationship is the key to joy. It's not that we go here or do this. It's when I come to know Him and find my security and my joy and my confidence in the I Am. So this concept, and that's why I want you to see it throughout the Scriptures, because there is, to me, all the way through continuity of thought. This God, the I Am, is the same that we read in Romans, from Him, through Him, and to Him, and the same thing that Paul takes great joy and confidence in, He who began the good work, who continues to do the work, who will complete the work. That's why last week when we were having our worship time, Paul said, one of the verses he used is Psalm 1611, where the psalmist said, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where is joy? Where is peace? Where is confidence? It's in His presence. It's a right view of God as recognizing the great I Am, the Creator, the Continuing One, the One who consummates all things. When I recognize that, it settles my life, even if I am in prison. So he has great, great confidence. When I was very small, and I don't even remember the age that I was, my dad got transferred to Japan. And our whole family, of course, we'd do this about every year or two. We'd move to a different part of the world. And for a, for a kid, it was pretty exciting, actually, to go to different places. You know, you'd go to a country. We were in Turkey. We were in Japan, uh, a different country like California. Uh, but we were all over the world. And I, I, I remember so vividly the time that we were at a train station. Have you ever seen the Japanese train stations? I mean, they're just people everywhere. Fortunately, my dad was a little over six feet tall. And... Uh, 
pretty much head and shoulders over most of the Japanese men. But I remember walking through just being in awe of the whole culture, the smells, the food, the, the train, the, the Japanese people who were incredibly friendly. And I'm just, I'm just walking, looking at all these things and loving every minute of it as a, as a, as a small boy. And then it hit me. Where's my dad? I lost him for just a short period of time. Now, he wasn't very far from me. But I went into such a panic. In fact, I, I had nightmares of this later. Uh, still don't now, but uh, in case you're wondering. But just in a second, I am in a panic because I don't know where my dad is and everything is foreign to me. Has that ever happened to any of you? And I, I was in such fear. I had no joy. I had no peace. I, you know, right until that moment, I was having a great time. I was just a happy kid. I was looking at everything, enjoying the experience, having fun in a new country. Everything was wonderful. And then in a moment, I'm in a panic. And yet none of the circumstances were any different. It was the fact that I'd lost the knowledge and the awareness of the presence of my father. And you know what? It's just, it's because he's my dad. And you know what? I don't worry. When I'm with my dad, you don't worry about what are we going to do for lunch. You may have an opinion or where are we going to sleep tonight? Because everything that I needed in life was tied to my relationship with him. Now you say, that's a pretty simple concept. You know what? It does not get any more complicated with God. It is a simple, simple concept. Our joy, our peace, our stability, our confidence are all tied up in our relationship with Him. And that's what Paul is saying. He's going to say that over and over again through the book of Philippians. And so we have confidence in this grace of what God is doing in your life. And then secondly, and I'll just hit this briefly, is, is He is also working through you, not just in you. God's working through you by His gospel. And this is what we read in verses 7 and 8 of uh, Philippians 1. He is working through His gospel. Now, if I were to ask you a question, how do you define gospel? Uh, people would say, well, gospel I mean, literally means good news. And typically, if we have a real narrow theological definition, it is Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and He rose the third day. That's, that's the gospel. But I really see it as more than that. I, I see it that the gospel is the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ from eternity to eternity. Let me say it again. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, the person and work from eternity to to eternity. And so we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot of joy in this church. It's not just what God is doing in us, but what is God able to do through us? And Paul says, whether I'm in chains, and that's, that's where he is now. He's in, he's in jail. Or I am defending and confirming the faith. Either way, I have great joy in what he is accomplishing. And so when he, when, when Paul talks about this, this good work, carrying it on, he has every right to feel this way. 
that even though when he's in chains, the gospel's not bound. Paul said that to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 2.9, the word of God is not bound. <clears throat> but he says, whether I'm in prison, the gospel is advancing. Or if I'm defending or confirming, and these are both legal terms, and of course, and it makes sense because he's about ready to go to the emperor's court and argue his case. Defending or being, it's not so much being defensive, but, uh, but, but the word that we use is apologia. We get apologetics, not apologizing for your faith, but, but debating, reasoning your faith. And so Paul is reasoning and he is confirming by statements uh, of his faith to these people. And they're hearing the gospel. When we think of God's work in us to change us by His grace and the ministry He has called us to as a church, it's not our persuasive words. It's the power of His gospel working through us, the good news of eternal life. Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. So concluding thoughts. Your natural tendency is to lose your joy because we tend to tie it to our circumstances. We lose our confidence or we have misplaced confidence, but Paul is saying this, be confident. You as a believer, be confident. So here's our takeaway. Be confident in God alone. Be confident in God alone. Now, how do you do that? You get to know Him. You get to know Him by His Word and through prayer and through study, and through fellowship. You get to know Him. But when our confidence is in God alone, then so is our joy and our peace. It's like the little boy with his dad. He's just there, and he enjoys it. Be confident in what God is doing in you by His grace, what He's done, what He's doing, what He will do, and be confident in what He is doing through you by His gospel. And my prayer is this, that because of that, because of our view of God and our confidence in God alone that this church, Valley Community Church, is so full of joy. <laughs> it's attractive. It's contagious. And during this holiday season, it's not circumstantial. It's all tied to the God we love. And that's the difference. That's the difference of God working in us by His grace and what we're able to share together. Let's bow together as we pray. We raced through a lot and didn't say all we'd like to say this morning, but simple thoughts that joy and peace and thanksgiving are tied to relationship. It's very simple. And we are able to come to God and have a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ who made it possible. He made a way to God through His sacrifice for us on the cross and His life, the life-giving power for us. And my prayer is this, that you would know God as your Father, and have a relationship with Him. But there's so much more. And when you contemplate and meditate and think upon His attributes, 
the self-existent one, creator, sustainer, ultimate judge, giver of life. He's good in everything He does, full of mercy and compassion and tenderness. When you come to know Him and spend time with Him, your life cannot help but be joyful and full of peace. After we dismiss today, we'll have a time where if you want to talk, we'll be available to talk. But I thought I would just close in prayer here and pray the Lord to help us through this because I think most of us struggle. We just really do. We struggle with these things. And we tend to want to argue with God about what we're going through. I don't know how many of you remember the story of Job. I don't really like reading that book of the Bible because it's depressing for me. (laughs) Job. You know how many times Job was saying, God, why, why, why? What are you doing? Why are you, why? You know, God never answered why. He never answered why. He answered with who, who. He said, Job, here's who I am. Here's who I am. And that's really the answer for all of our struggles and the times we want to argue with God. He's going to bring us back to who? Who am I? I'm the self-existent one. I'm the God who loves you. I'm your Father. I'm here, and I'm here for you. That's all you need. It's simple. Father, you know how we struggle in our complaints, our discouragement, our lack of confidence, our misplaced confidence, how we tend even during holiday seasons when everyone should be happy to have times of depression, fear, disappointment. So Lord, help us to look up and see you and know you. Be reminded of your presence and filled with joy. Help us, Lord. We we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.